welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. Among the world's Western democracies, the United States is the most religious. American adults believe more, worship more, and pray more than their counterparts in Europe, Australia, Canada, and beyond. But the United States also has a long history of non-belief. From Thomas Paine's Common Sense, published one year before the Declaration of Independence, to 19th century orator Robert Ingersoll. From prayer in public school plaintiff Madeline Murray O'Hare, to the so-called New Atheists, Sam Harris and Daniel Dennett. American unbelief has been a constant in our robust political discourse. According to the most recent Pew Research Center study on the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, fully one-third of all Americans say they no longer identify as followers of a religion. Until now, America's atheists, agnostics, and nuns have never had a comprehensive media platform all their own. But January saw the debut of Only Sky Media. Based in San Francisco and funded by Silicon Valley Venture Capital, Only Sky's website offers news, commentary, criticism, podcast, video, and more. All from what it describes as a secular perspective. Only Sky takes its name from John Lennon's song, Imagine. The new media group wants to, quote, give faces and voices to the non-religious generations who will inherit the earth. At the helm of the enterprise is scholar and author Phil Zuckerman. He is not a newcomer to the field. In 2011, he founded the first secular studies program in the United States at Pitzer College in Claremont, California. In a New York Times interview with Lori Goodstein, Zuckerman described himself as culturally Jewish, but agnostic atheist on questions of deep mystery. For many years, he taught in Denmark, one of the world's most secular countries, and has over the last two decades written several books about atheism. Since announcing their launch in January... Only Sky has generated buzz in media circles at a time when new digital multimedia companies are competing for audiences. But if you create it, will they come? That's one of the many questions producer Kimberly Winston set out to answer this week. The topic is one near and dear to Winston. For five years, she covered the non-religious beat for the Religion News Service. She knows that non-religious Americans are, by definition, notoriously diverse to organize and difficult to define, in part because the terms can mean radically different things depending on context, words like secular. After all, this audience includes people who abhor religion to those who never think about religion at all. This week, producer Kimberly Winston takes a closer look at Only Sky, and she begins with its editor, Phil Zuckerman, describing his vision. I see it as a multimedia hub for and by America's growing secular population. It's a platform for commentary, news, articles, podcasts, videos, and conversation. Specifically, 
with America's 85-something million non-religious Americans in mind. And let's get some terms defined, because these terms are often squishy, and we're not always talking about the same thing. Will you define for me the term secularism, atheism, and humanism? Yes. So, secularism, unfortunately to be confusing, I think has three main meanings. The first one describes what should be or ought to be the relationship between government and the state. So um, most versions of secularism here want there to be uh, some type of government neutrality when it comes to religion or a, uh, a public sphere free of religious coercion or favoritism, and that serves everyone better. It serves religion better. It serves the government better. And everybody, all religions are treated equally and no religion is treated equally. So that's one version of secularism. We might want to call that political secularism or Jeffersonian secularism. The second version of secularism has to do more with um, ideologies and movements aimed at debunking uh, religion or disabusing people of their religious beliefs. So think of Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchin, the New Atheists. They didn't say much about separating from church and state. They were talking about irrationality of religious beliefs, the harm that religion does, the, the problems with faith. So that kind of secularism is a kind of philosophical or personal view that religion is bad and ought to be uh, done away with or minimized. You might call that philosophical secularism. And then finally, the third secularism is just a kind of descriptive term to talk about a growing irreligiosity in culture or society, kind of a demographic shift or even culturally. Like, so if you start to see, you know, more stores are, sell are open on Sundays, uh, fewer blue laws, more places selling alcohol, less limits on um, traditionally restricted things, you know, <laughs> women having more rights or um, kind of just secularism as a kind of growing proportion of the population being not religious and that being felt in society. Which of these three is only Sky intended for or is it, you know, more than one? I think it's all of the above. I think all only the Sky above. wants to be a big tent. Only Sky does not want to push a particular version of secularity or a strictly atheistic version. It sees itself as a kind of post-religious space. So some people who are post-religious are, you know, hardcore, strong uh, atheists. Uh, some are angry at religion. Others are more happy humanists who, uh, or even have a benign attitude towards religion or don't even think about religion at all. So I think Only Sky definitely supports the political goals of separation of church and state. I think some contributors and readers of Only Sky uh, sort of have an anti-religious ethos. And then I think the third part is just that, yeah, there are many people just living more secular lives, uh, wanting to understand secular culture better. So I think Only Sky is trying to cast the widest net possible and, and meet secular post-religious Americans where they're at. Define for us atheism and humanism. Atheism simply means a lack of a belief in God or gods. That's it. An atheist is someone who's without belief in God or gods. And that's it. There's nothing you can, it doesn't tell you anything about their politics. It doesn't tell you anything about their morality. It doesn't tell you anything about their favorite sports fans. It's just they don't believe in a God. They lack a belief in a God. Uh, and most atheists, if not all, uh, have come to that by just, it's not a choice. It's just the evidence doesn't stack up. They don't, they can't make that leap of faith and it's just where they find themselves. 
So I think humanist is more affirmative. A humanist is someone who says, well, okay, if an atheist tells me what I don't believe in, a humanist is signaling what I do believe in. I believe in the good potential of humans. We recognize that some humans can be awful and we have a and humans have the potential to be heinous and, and immoral and horrible, but we also have the potential to be altruistic, charitable, justice seeking, justice enacting. And it's that aspect of humanity that we pin our hopes on. We think that only humans have the ability to solve the world's problems. Only humans have the ability to alleviate suffering. Only humans have the ability to make this planet greener and safer and more loving. Tell me why you all thought it was important to bring secular stories to everyone now. You know what? I tip my fez to all those new atheists. I think um, Dawkins and Harris and Hitchens and Hersey Ali and Dennett did a tremendous uh, service to the world by bringing atheist conversations into the spotlight. However, in this instance, I'm going to have to acknowledge the big man himself, Donald Trump, who I think has done more for atheism than any atheist in the history of the world. I think this was really a reaction to seeing the might of the Christian nationalists in our nation, mm. the, the might of the conservative white evangelical camp, which is such a minority and yet has such an out-of-proportion power. As we see it, religious fundamentalists dominate our Supreme Court right now. Most are Catholic, but they adhere to that kind of Christian nationalist agenda. You had a White House under Trump that was largely faith-based. I think everybody in that room was a Jesus fanatic of, of the kind. Look, you can be a great Jesus fanatic and fight for social justice, or you can be a Jesus fanatic who goes against everything Jesus ever taught. It was the latter that we saw in our, in our White House, uh, running our schools, running our military, running HUD, I mean, you name it, from Ben Carson to Sarah Palin to Betsy DeVos to everybody in between. And so I think there was a feeling like, wait a minute, you know, yes, conservative white evangelicals, Christian nationalists, they do make up a significant chunk of the United States. But what is it, 20%, 30%? Well, you have 30% of Americans right now who are non-religious. They're not as strongly mobilized as white evangelicals. Certainly, we don't have the resources. We don't have these billion-dollar media empires and institutions and lobbying groups, uh, and we have a stigma, but we're here. And I think there was a feeling in the wake of Trump's calamitous reign that secular American voices needed to have a place at the table. So I would say most of us on board um, have been active in secular community for 20 years, trying to build secular community long before Trump had his reign of terror. From my time on the atheism beat, or for lack of a better word, it was really more appropriate to say the no religion beat. Mm. It is a huge spectrum. I would argue it is as big as a spectrum as the spectrum of Christianity. Mm. You can find zealots and you can find people who don't really care, you know, just mm. don't really think about it. How are you going to keep the wide tent idea when it's some of the strident voices, angry voices, fundamentalist voices tend to take up a lot of oxygen. That is a challenge, but hopefully an opportunity. My hope is because we are appealing to such a wide tent 
you know, we have contributors from all across the spectrum. And what I would assume is that people that visit Only Sky will find the people that they are interested in and follow them and maybe check out some of the others as well. So my sense is that anybody that's even possibly interested in some aspect of secularity uh, will just come visit us on a regular basis and see what we have to say about this or that. One feature that I'm responsible for is called Secular Symphony. And that's where I try to kind of pose a, a broad question to various people who identify as secular uh, of any variety and let them, you know, spout off about whatever prompt I give them. And my hope is to have a diversity of voices there, not just demographically, but philosophically, politically, and so on and so forth. I would also hope that only Sky appeals to religious Americans in the sense that I know there are many, many religious Americans, either progressive religious Americans who have a lot of similarities in their worldview with us, or even your conservative fundamentalist religious people who are curious about what the heck we have to say, if for no other reason than to, than to debunk us or to resist us. If the goals of secularism are to be advanced, people who are not at all religious are going to have to have allies in the religious world, right? I mean, there mm -hmm. are Christians, Jews, Muslims out there, and many other types of believers who think all of these things that we know are part of the humanist and secular agenda, you know, abolishing the death penalty, you know, fixing climate change, LGBTQ rights, women's rights, women's access to health care, all of those things are on the humanist agenda. Well, there are also plenty of religious people who believe those things should happen too. So how can only Sky be a tool for bringing those people together on a topic that they share goals in? Now, when you talk about the secular agenda, I don't know if there is a secular agenda or the secular agenda. I think there are multiple agendas. I think the biggest that almost everybody can agree with is, you know, separation of church and state. And, and that's just a kind of American value, or at least it used to be or ought to be or should be. That we can certainly rally around and we can find many allies, religious, non-religious, because those who understand that principle knows it protects them all. It protects all of us. In terms of the agendas of you know, uh, reducing religion's might in society, it kind of depends. Some people see religion as a real force for good in terms of charity, altruism, community, heritage, and so on and so forth. But there is this kind of progressive element, which you know about. You, know, you don't have to be a progressive politically if you're secular. Some secularists are right-wingers. Ayn Rand was a, you know, right-winger. She was an atheist. So just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean you suddenly sign on to a progressive political agenda. But the data shows that the vast majority of secular Americans do lean left, do lean progressive. If our agenda is to create a greener world, a more just world, a more equitable world, a world where women and men enjoy equal rights, where LGBTQI people enjoy equal rights, where, you know, all these things, then yes, I think we work, we would need to work hand in hand with those that share that agenda, whether they're atheists or Christians or Muslims or Jews or Hindus or Buddhists, no matter what. And I hope those bridges are built and sustained and watered. One thing you mentioned was that you said atheism or, or non-religion has a stigma. I would say that atheism in particular has an image problem mm -hmm. and has had an image problem for at least 50 years. I'm mm -hmm. thinking back to Madeline Murray O'Hare, mm -hmm. the most hated woman in the world, was the title mm -hmm. of the biography of her. A lot of the new atheists back in the mid 
aughts did not do a real good job of building bridges to people who didn't think the, the exact same way that they did. Mm. This may not be true anymore, but it was true for a while that women's voices and the voices of people of color, many of those people felt not always welcome in the atheism community. Now, there have been a lot of strides, I think, made in this area, but I want to ask you how Only Sky is addressing those past problems and sort of push back against that image of the angry atheist as a middle-aged white man. Gotcha. There's always been those issues and problems and shortcomings, even back in the 19th century, or especially so. No question about it. Um, you're absolutely right. And I, I, I'm, I would say that as the number of secular Americans continues to mushroom, so too does the diversity of our membership and our leaders and our voices. So only Sky, I think at root, the idea was to tell stories about what it means to be human and what it means to be a human without religion. And because we want to tell those stories, we don't want to hear one version of that story. <laughs> we want as rich and diverse of storytelling hub as we can make it. And so we sought out those voices out there that represent different racial and ethnic groups, different sexual orientations, different gender identities. And I'm very proud of that. We have Latinx voices, African-American voices, Asian-American voices, women's voices, LGBTQI voices. And that's just part of our mission to, to capture the rich stories of our world. And I don't have the actual numbers right ahead of me, but I would say that they're extremely uh, impressive and definitely buck the traditional trend of the uh, older or middle-aged white upper-class privileged male. Not, not that the, you know, those voices are important too, but you know, just as a, the sociologist in me would say, look, it's always been risky to come out as an atheist or as a secular person. There's a social stigma. And folks that are more marginalized in our society that don't have either the social capital or the political capital or the financial capital, um, it's a lot riskier to stick your neck out in that way in this country. So that's also one of the reasons why I think there's been those problems. What do you hope will happen by bringing secular stories to everybody? Are you looking to deconvert people, to bash religion? Tell me what Only Sky's main goal is. I would say the main goal is to bring a secular voice into the American conversation. Right. Uh, I would say a main goal is to um, allow secular people to articulate their own experience rather than have that have us told who or what we are to speak for ourselves who we are, what we believe, and what we want. I think a major goal is to put into word, video, and podcast what it means to be secular, what that experience is like, and what life looks like from a secular orientation. And I'd say the final goal is to, um, is to reimagine for the larger society what life without religion looks actually looks like, how post-religious life is a positive, beneficial, enlivening, and enriching way to live. 
Zuckerman is the editor of Only Sky Media. He's a professor of sociology and secular studies at Pitzer College in Claremont, California. The author of several books, including Living the Secular Life, What It Means to Be Moral, Faith No More, and Society Without God. When we come back, producer Kimberly Winston talks to the man funding Only Sky. We'll be back after this short break. Stay with us. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you. And let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. If you're just joining, this week, producer Kimberly Winston is taking a closer look at a new media initiative, Only Sky. Founded in January, it has a unique audience, secular atheist and humanist readers. Earlier, Winston spoke with secular scholar and author Phil Zuckerman, who serves as Only Sky editor. Now she turns to the founder, who's bringing both resources and a vision to build out the multimedia platform. Sean Harden, a Silicon Valley venture capitalist with a background in filmmaking. He told Kimberly he was inspired to start the multimedia platform because of the sheer number of non-religious Americans. That's 84 million today. Harden says this group has never before had a media platform that is distinctly non-religious in its outlook. Let's get back to the conversation. Many people would say that the vast majority of American media is secular in that It's not owned by a religious organization or body. Now, there are exceptions like the Deseret News, the Christian Science Monitor, or the Washington Times. Those are owned by religious organizations. So when you say secular media, can you flesh that out for me a little bit? Because, you know, the New York Times 
covers the arts, politics, you know, all these things that only Sky will do from a secular perspective in that they are not owned by a religious body. So there's something more that you mean. Can you flesh that out for me? Sure. I think what we've seen too often in the past is that this really massive and growing audience has been defined primarily by what they are not, which is to say, you know, they're non-religious. <laughs> and what we see an extraordinary opportunity to, to do differently is to really create a platform where the diverse and uh, very heterogeneous group of folks that make up this demographic so many young people, so many people uh, of different ethnicities and cultural backgrounds, really, what are they for? So in large measure, you know, one of the things we've said about the task of doing is to create a platform that really spotlights the values that this group embodies. And I think that's a, a very different orientation and positioning than anything that I'm aware of in the market. I think in terms of high profile, successful media examples like you offered, I think what's really different with Only Sky is that we are explicitly secular. So where if you look at other high-profile national media publications, they may do work that is fact-based and uh, based on science and checked for facts. But, you know, they don't really take a position on the supernatural. They don't really take a position on, on religion. And they'll have people of all religious persuasions write for the platform. Our orientation is explicitly secular. We launched the service only a few weeks ago. And one of the first things we wanted to ask the people who came to our site is, do you think explicitly secular or non-religious perspectives are well represented in American society, culture, and politics? And, you know, we thought for the first 100,000 plus readers that came to the site that, you know, th that it would probably be the case that a majority would agree with that statement. Well, we were blown away. 99.4% of all those who've come to the site believe that explicitly secular non-religious perspectives are not well represented in American society, culture, or politics. And that's, in fact, why we created Only Sky. Wow. You have said that Only Sky uh, will conduct its own research on secular Americans. How will you do that? Will you do that in a partnership with a polling institute? And most importantly, what do you hope to learn from doing that? So we, we think um, we have this real orientation around being a platform that celebrates the diversity uh, and how much the, this audience has changed just in the last generation. And so we have a number of objectives. One, as I already mentioned, is to create a platform where really all of these people can self-declare and proudly own the value system that in fact defines their lives and that they pursue, which we think is overwhelmingly positive and tends to have, take many different shapes and forms. And secondly, we want to understand that deeply, right? Because certainly one of the things that we know is we believe diversity is an extraordinary superpower, uh, really a strength. And we'd like to really lean into that and get to know everyone in this very diverse group. And we think that although there's some good research out there, we think there's frankly a lot of embedded bias in the way that other research has been done. And if you look at how questions or asks, uh, you know, what kind of assumptions underlie some of the questions that are asked in some research, um, it really presupposes the existence of the supernatural uh, or, or a god or deity of some sort. And so our orientation is going to be in a, in a very secular manner, which is to say, 
to be very transparent, to use professional top-tier methods and approaches and processes to both do research with our own fast-growing audience, as well as ultimately um, in statistically significant ways that really represent the characteristics of this group nationwide. Uh, and we'll do that certainly with partners and with others that we're already working with. What kind of things are you hoping to learn that, say, research from the Pew Research Center or PRRI are not looking for? Those two organizations have done significant deep research on the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S. So what specifically might you want to discover about this group? Right. Well, you know, let's even just start with the label, right? Because um, you, you, you won't find much use of the term nuns on our site. And that's because really, we, we really reject that label. I mean, it, it's, it's once again defining this fast growing group of Americans as what they are not instead of what they are. So our research will be very oriented around what this diverse cross-section of Americans believe in, how they live, and really what are the issues and what are the matters in society and culture and politics and elsewhere that they really care about. I mean, frankly, our intention is to make this just much more broadly understood in our culture. So we'll both use that information to better serve this audience. That'll be our first and foremost objective. And secondly, we'll look to make this information more broadly understood in the culture and in, uh, in, in the business community, because certainly now almost one third of Americans fall in this bucket, as I'm sure you and your listeners might be very interested to know. Most third-party research at this point predicts that the religiously unaffiliated will become the single largest belief group in the entire nation by 2030. So that's only eight years away. You know, that's an audience ultimately responsible for something around $5 trillion of annual spending. Let's talk about diversity. In the past, the non-belief community has had an issue with diversity. For many years, they were perceived as an angry white man's club. Yeah. And that's really something I can say both personally and professionally has motivated a lot of what we've done at Only Sky. Um, so we have today over 45 creative contributors. In fact, actually, I think as of today, it's about 50. We continue to add new writers uh, and podcasters to the platform pretty much every week. Uh, and in fact, it was very exciting for us because even in our first two weeks of launch, we had over 20 folks uh, actually apply to join us on the platform. And many of them we have found are quite talented and, and very interesting. So as it relates to diversity, as I mentioned, I think it's a little understood that the phenomenon of the religious and affiliated in America today is equal parts, uh, almost men and women, and is made up of all sorts of prior religious traditions, not just Christianity, uh, ex-Muslims, people uh, of other faiths, and, and it is a rich tapestry of color. And so if you come to OnlySky.media today and you take a look uh, at the many, many writers that are offering perspectives on arts and culture and politics and news and music and entertainment and, and on and on, um, you'll really find, I think, in most every case, someone who looks like you. It is only through putting the spotlight on this sort of diverse creative community that one could do that, right? Because the, you know, an, an African American woman is living in Los Angeles or, you know, an ex-Muslim is living in the middle of America or, um, you know, a gay man in New York. The, these people have different journeys and they have different reasons to talk about their lives. How do you hope that only Sky is able to appeal to such a broad range of people? So our intention is to kind of meet people where they are, 
right? This is a journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't tend to, uh, you know, change their point of view on something this significant in a week or a month. It tends to be a journey that happens over years or decades. And so we think we can meet people where they are and have different kinds of communities on the platform uh, where like type people can get together and really explore what it means for each of them to be religious and affiliated. Every great startup needs some some advantages. And I think for us, it's really about the timing. I mean, I think if you look at the most recent 2020 presidential election, I think it's been, as you know, well established now that even in some of the battleground states, the religiously affiliated showed up in some pretty important ways that made a difference. Uh, and so I think increasingly we're going to see whether it's in politics, whether it's in economics or business, whether it's in the arts or other parts of our society, that the religious and affiliated are a force to be reckoned with. They're going to feel their oats and sort of show up to make sure that values that they think are important are represented, whether it's at the local school board uh, or in businesses or at the voting booth. And uh, that's something we're very excited to help advocate for. Sean Harden is the CEO and founder of Only Sky Media. When we come back, producer Kimberly Winston takes a closer look at the diversity challenges confronting the secular movement. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Stay with us. Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. When we talk about the quote-unquote organized community of non-belief, we're talking about the big four organizations that have positioned themselves to represent the interests of atheism, agnosticism, and humanism. That is, the American Atheists, American Humanist Association, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and the Center for Inquiry. In the past, most of their leaders and members have been predominantly white and male. However, just as the demographics of the country are changing, so too is this movement. Over the last decade or two, all of these groups have addressed the issue to one extent or another. And many now have people of color and women in leadership positions throughout. The representation, however, in leadership must also lead to other changes. That's a point argued by political scientist and demographer Dr. Yuhem Navarro-Rivera. He studies non-believers of color like himself. His research shows that non-believers of color have different interpersonal challenges in their communities, using different labels to identify their beliefs and when it comes to policy issues. They often have diverging political priorities from their white counterparts, most notably on issues such as church-state separation. To learn more, producer Kimberly Winston caught up with Navarro Rivera from his home in Washington, D.C. Now, we should note here, Navarro Rivera has agreed to be a contributor to Only Sky, but has not yet written for the media outlet. What can you tell me about the size and the makeup of the non-religious community of color? Yes, so the non-religious community of color is about one-third of all people who are not religious. Uh, So 65% are white, 
about 15% are Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, 9% are African-American or Black, 5% Asian or Asian-American, and then, like, you know, like the reminder, like, kind of like 4 5% are mixed race, some other race, or refuse to state the race. But essentially, it's a little bit more of one-third of the one-third of the population that are not religious in the country right now. In the publicity for Only Sky, they think that about one-third of all Americans are not religious, and they put that number at about 84 million. Do you agree with those numbers, or are those numbers different than yours? Uh, that passes the quick smell test? It passes the quick smell test? Yes. So we have close to 30 million or so non-religious uh, people of color in the country. Tell me how the non-religious community of color is the same as and different from the majority of people who make up uh, the community of unbelief who happen to be predominantly white. So they are mostly living religion. The case of the Latinx non-religious people, which mostly has been the focus of my research, it's, you know, mostly people stop identifying as Catholics. I, I wouldn't say leaving Catholicism because, I mean, a lot of people, if you know anything about Latinos and people in Latin America, is that, you know, you, and that includes my example, people are baptized, they may do a few sacraments, but a lot of people don't go to church, they don't, they don't do it on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and so it's just, you know, people just stopping identifying with, with that tradition. Uh, and that has been most of the growth, I, th I think, in the last decade. But one thing is that not just for Latinxes, but also for African-Americans in particular, they are less likely to identify as atheists or agnostic. So they are more likely to say nothing in particular rather than saying that they are atheists or agnostic. And they're also less likely to say they are convinced that they don't believe in God. I know that in the past there has been stigma around the idea of, quote, coming out as a non-believer. And I understand that in the community of color, that stigma is even higher. Can you talk about why? One is it's just assumed that you are, particularly if you, if you are Latino like me, uh, that you're a Christian. Mm. Most likely that you're a Catholic. And it happened many times, you know, when people ask me, oh, what church do you go? And I was like, eh, eh, none. There's this assumption not just from outsiders, but within the community that faith is a, is a cultural trait that binds us together, mm. which my research shows that not really. You know, language is more important than faith to some extent. But also, we need to think about what kind of faith we're talking about. So being Catholic, it's totally different from being Protestant in many Latinx communities, mostly because Catholicism is already embedded through colonialism. <laughs> and so it's more of a cultural practice than a religious practice. So it means that it's easier for people like me who, you know, like was baptized, was confirmed, even went to Catholic schools to, you know, disappear, go back the back door and nobody's going to notice. And then they will drift away. But many, particularly Pentecostal communities in the Latinx community are like small congregations mostly run by like a pastor and the members of those churches are their family, neighbors, friends. So breaking away from that, it carries a bigger social weight, right? Mm. Because you are 
you know, you're not just breaking, you're just not stopping to go to a parish from a priest that you just see once a week. Like you're breaking with your friends, you're breaking with your family. And that's, that's much harder. And I think that explains why, you know, the, the, the amount of Latinxes who are living the Catholic Church is like orders of magnitude larger than Protestants. The same way with African Americans, I would say, although I don't want to generalize through the experience, but there's a lot of discussions about like how the black church is one of the main institutions that, that you know, has led the, the community through, you know, the civil rights movement, through liberation. And so thinking about breaking up from that history in that community, it, it just doesn't look good in the eyes of many. And, and so, you know, it carries a kind of like different weight. You also talk about in your research that non-believers of color tend not to be joiners of the, you know, of, of organized non-belief, things like American atheists, American humanists, um, Freedom From Religion Foundation, uh, all the things that we think of as organized non-belief. Why is that? <sighs> you know, a, a lot of people just, you know, want to live their life or they, they don't want to make atheism the, the main thing they do, you know, with their spare time. You know, I know many atheists and non-religious people of color who are like members of organizations that I am that are not secular organizations. You know, they're more interested in social justice. They're more interested in civil rights. They're more interested in the environment, which are things that, you know, we could be doing in, in secular organizations. To some extent, we do. It's just that they don't look at it in the same way. And so, you know, the, why should I give my money to the you know, Center for Inquiry or American Atheist or the American Humanist Association and my time when I could do this with the NAACP or with like Unidos or uh, any other organization that, you know, does this for my people? <laughs> In the essay that you shared with us and that I believe we'll put up on our website, you said that often non-believers of color um, their secularism can take a backseat to other aspects of their identity, like their racial identity or their gender identity. Can you talk a little bit about how that plays out? Separation of church and state is a very low priority issue for people who are not atheists or agnostic. So the non-religious who are just like nothing in particular. And that's most of the people of color who identify as not religious are essentially nothing in particular. Right. Uh, they have high other priorities in, in terms of policy, particularly those who are material, right? Like, you know, universal health care, increasing wages. Um, but these particular issues that are often championed by secular organizations are not necessarily high on their list. Of course, right. there's, there are exceptions. There are people who, who, who you belong to the organizations that they do care about this. But for the most part, most people of color are not particularly moved by, by those. Mm. There are two ways in which that can be solved. One is outreach and kind of like linking these larger issues that has to do with essential discrimination and Christian dominion of our society to some extent, or like, you know, you, you can just move on, you know, like you, you're not going to get those people, but having to say that you're committed to diversity without essentially making changes to your outreach strategy, essentially 
it's not a good middle way. But I mean, if you mean that, you know, you have to kind of like change your strategy because if your events, I will say I've seen a lot of change over the years. So I, I think things have gotten better. But if, if most of your events are about like God, you know, people don't care about that. Or if your meetings are about mocking religious people, like, you know, a lot of people have religious families. I mean, you know, some of my best friends are religious and I don't think they, you know, they're dumb. <laughs> I mean, they're very smart people and I love them. So are you saying that organized non-religious groups like American atheists, American humanists, that they could attract more diverse people if they didn't focus on, you know, disproving religion or bashing religion and instead focus on what you might call um, a secular agenda of universal equality, health care, good public schools. Is that what I'm understanding you to say? To a large extent, yes. Uh, and I think, you know, past the stage of new atheism, I think we are seeing less of the religion mocking yeah. uh, in, in, in many other organizations. But yeah, I think moving into an agenda that is more comprehensive, maybe not necessarily away from all separations, church and state issues, but certainly into how to make those issues relevant to other aspects of life. Only Sky's founder, Sean Harden, and its editor, Phil Zuckerman, both told me that what they really want to do is emphasize the diversity of the secular movement. From where you sit, are they particularly well positioned to be able to do that? I mean, they have, at least the current group that I've seen in the website includes, you know, a lot of people that I that I like and, and know, like Anthony Cruz, who is the chaplain at Tufts University. There's Dr. Anthony Pien, who I think is gonna do a podcast, Alex Jules. So there's a lot of people who have been involved in the movement for a while. Or in the case of Anthony, it's kind of like a younger voice. Now, of course, we can't forget the, the big one, which is uh, Heman Meta, the main blogger for The Friendly Atheist, which is the most popular secular blog in the planet, probably. And I think bringing that different perspectives that we don't really hear much uh, in secular communities. And I think that that's an important change. So th these are voices that I think people like me would know, but the larger world of people who may read The Friendly Atheist wouldn't know. And I think that brings a, an important perspective. Do you think that non-believers of color need a place like Only Sky? I would say yes, in the sense that, you know, many eons ago, it dawned on me that I wasn't the only Latino atheist in the planet. <laughs> I didn't expect that, you know, like one-eighth of the Latino population was not religious. Mm -hmm. um, now it's double that. Mm -hmm. And so I started a blog in those days. And so I met many people in the community who were basically Googling Latino atheists and found me. Mm -hmm. uh, I met many good friends in this community through that blog. Mm -hmm. And there hasn't been a space like that. There's Facebook groups. And they're like local meetups that do that, but there, there's still no space where we can congregate and kind of like express ideas. Mm. Uh, and so in that regard, yeah, this is a necessary space. And if it's a space that is welcoming for us, uh, yes, then yes, like we would take it. Are you, as a non-believer of color, are you excited about Only Sky? 
Yes, because I think one of the things that we have needed over time has been what I call a counterpublic. The term comes from Melissa Harris Perry, and it's essentially a media infrastructure which allows us to control our own narrative. We have had these blogs and, and whatnot, but we, we have never had like a centralized place where we could go. And now this, you know, like only Sky is going to be multimedia. So I think it's a good start to have like these counter public in which we can start telling our stories from our perspective. And if uh, to the extent that those stories include the stories of the people who have traditionally not been associated with the movement, like people of color, elevating those voices, is, it's going to be a win-win situation. <laughs> Dr. Yuham Navarro-Rivera is a political scientist, writer, public speaker, and research consultant. He is the political research director and managing partner at Socioanalytica Research and a senior fellow at the Institute for Humanist Studies. That's all for this week's show. To learn more about this week's guests and topics, check out this week's show notes at interfaithradio.org. While you're there, you can also learn about us, sign up for our newsletter, and explore the archives. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or by searching Interfaith Voices in the podcatcher of your choice. While you're there, help us out by leaving a rating and a review. It helps others find us. This week's episode was produced by Kimberly Winston and Kevin McCarthy. A special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, for her vision and MC Yogi for our theme music. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions and Audio Binger. This week's episode brings attention to the importance of telling your own story and equally important, the need to have a place to share it. Back in 2018, we hosted a live story slam and it was a pretty amazing experience and we want to do it again. This time we're organizing a virtual story slam, making it possible for you to participate from wherever you are. We're going to be exploring this time the relationship between rituals and renewal. If you have an experience to share, be it a breakthrough or a struggle, we want to hear from you. Send us an email to storyslam at interfaithradio.org. That's story, S-T-O-R-Y-S-L-A-M at interfaithradio.org. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices. We're a nonprofit, and we rely on the generous support of our listeners to bring you this show. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. Wherever you are, I hope you are safe, I hope you are well, and that you stay connected. I'll see you next week. Thank you.